Hello everybody, this is Abby Alcox with another episode of Badgerland Journal, and I have a special guest, this is the third guest actually in a row, although I think he might be the most uh, energetic. <laughs> no no offense to uh, Dr. Bill Fliss or Dr. Avella, um, but today I have... Okay. Don't feel bad. I'm gonna do it too. So we're gonna go back and forth because I'm serious. So I'm gonna mess something up. So this is Dante Cutting Cottingham. 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 There we go. I messed this Cottingham. up multiple times before we started this. We paused it. Okay. Um, but you are a community organizer for Expo Wisconsin, which you're gonna get into what that actually is a little bit. Um, well, actually, do you want to just give a brief, we'll talk a little bit more about what you do later on in the podcast, but you want to give a brief summary of who you are, what you do? No problem. So my, I'm, I'm a community organizer for Expo Wisconsin, and essentially Expo stands for Ex-Incarcerated People Organizing. Um, it's a group of men and women that are directly impacted, directly impacted being defined as that spent time in prison and jail. Um, my specific area is I'm an organizer in Racine in Kenosha. I was born and raised there, um, so all of my efforts are there. Um, we have local issues that we focus on, and we have some statewide issues. For example, one of our statewide issues is Unlock the Vote, and Unlock the Vote is essentially trying to restore the voting rights for men and women that are currently on probation and parole. Okay. In the state of Wisconsin, you can't vote until you offer probation or parole, even though you've done all your time, you're paying taxes, and you're doing everything you're supposed to do. And you're an active participant in society again. You know what I mean? Like, you are you are influenced by the decisions that are ma being made by elected officials. Absolutely. But we yeah. have no leverage. Like, we have no leverage to get the politicians to do anything regarding pol policies that matter to us. Okay. Um... And so it, when I looked at Expo Wisconsin, well, there's Expo Wisconsin, but this is a nationwide, there's other chapters? C currently, no. No, okay. Currently, no. We are, currently, we're in Wisconsin. We had a bunch of opportunities to expand. We wanted to build up our our, um, our foundation here first. Okay. So we have um, about, I think, six different regions now where you have community organizers, directly practical organizers with Expo in different regions throughout the state. Maybe um, that's what I was seeing, that there was different regions. And absolutely. I was thinking regions as in states, not regions within the yeah. state. We have, we have different chapters. We have Milwaukee, uh, Racine, Kenosha, me, um, Chippewa Falls. So we got places of uh, Rock County. So we have different organizers in different places, uh, different parts of the, the state. Okay. Yeah. So what we're going to do today is the history of prisons in Wisconsin. And then once we kind of go through that a little bit, then we're going to talk a little bit more about, like, the relevance of today, and that will kind of bring in your organization and what you are trying to do and what changes you would like to see Sound happen. Like like yeah, so this is a special day. I didn't do the research here. I did like a little bit of, so I have like some background, so I'm not like completely shocked, but Dante has did, done most of the research. Did you see anything interesting in your research? No, other than like, I th the... So, which didn't wasn't shocking, but I saw that Wisconsin became a state in 1848, and then I think it's 1853, we outlaw the death penalty, mm -hmm. which just, it was yeah. interesting. And I guess there probably was death penalty prior to, because it was a territory and there were forts here, mm -hmm. but it just was, like, weird to me of, like, ah, oh, we were a state for a whole, like, five years, and then we were like, nope, no death penalty. Mm -hmm. And we were, the third, we were the third state in the country to do it. Yes. Um, but, so... 
that, that was that's interesting. What I kind of found interesting when I was doing a little research is that we we, we created it as a stadium in 1848. By 1851, we created our first prison, which was Walpon Correctional Institution. It was it went by a different name, Walpon or Reformatory School or something back then. Yeah. Um, but soon after, like I think by 1854, uh, there were only maybe I think between 20 and 50 prisoners in Walpon at the time, and one of them happened to be a nine-year-old kid. Um, who was waived and sent to Wapon. It was like I said, it was the only prison there, and he was given some time for larceny. Um, and well, I, I find that kind of interesting. So even back in 1851, like 1854, they were sending children to the adult criminal justice system. That is interesting, and it's also I, like I wonder the circumstances as well. Of like when you look at larceny, like was this him like playing with matches, and it like escalated. Or was it, like, intentional? You know, like, you, you always wonder, like, the circumstances. Not that it justifies mm. crime, but it's better understands, like, the mindset of why people do what they did. Was it an accident? Was mm. it... Was there ill intent behind those actions? But, yeah, it seems shocking, like, a nine-year-old kid. Like, how many of us have done stupid things when we were nine years old? But the, and the, then to be thrown in a prison, which I... And we'll talk about prisons today right. which are not the nicest institutions around but imagining i'm thinking it was a lot worse yes absolutely and to their credit back then um just i think three years later they had began the construction of a juvenile facility um and it became permanent i believe in 1857 okay and um, you said that was walkershaw it was in walkershaw it was a walkershaw boys school yeah um it had a bunch of different names, but it ended up selling the Waukesha Boys School. So, so to their credit, they kind of moved it along, as opposed to right now, when they're waving kids and they're sending them to adult prisons, even though they have juvenile facilities and juvenile options. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and maybe you'll know more about this, too. Like, I know in the news, like, over the past few years, there's been, like, a lot of investigations into, I think, juvenile facilities mm -hmm. in Wisconsin and making sure, like they have the treatment necessary. Well, or not the treatment, but like the... Well, there, there was a big problem at Lincoln Hill. There was some lawsuits um, not too long ago that kind of highlighted a lot of the issues they were having there. Um, so the, the, the problem really hasn't been solved. Right now, they're, they've been in the process of moving um, the juvenile prison in Irma, Wisconsin, down to Milwaukee. Okay. That's one of the things I've kind of I've been advocating for. Now, listen, I don't think kids should be incarcerated. Period. I think there's an alternative to incarceration, personally. Um, but if you if you're going to incarcerate them, at least incarcerate them closer to home. Uh, Irma is like three and a half hours away from like most of the cities uh, where the, the kids live, which is Milwaukee, Racine, Rock County area. Right. You don't have family or support systems. And that's very important, family support system, and you don't have people that's incarcerated that look like you either. So I was in juvenile. I was in Lincoln Hills when I was a juvenile as well. So I know how it feels to be in a place surrounded by people who you don't connect with or who, and who don't connect with you, right? And because it's, it's a difference. It, it just is to be able to see people that your same color that speak your same language. Yeah. Um, so if you're going to incarcerate them, at least incarcerate them close to home, at least where their family can support them and there can be mentors, um, the likelihood of there being more mentors that look like them, that understands them, you know what I mean? That well, and that would them. be there when you get out, too. It would be there when you get out as well. I, when, I, when I left Lincoln Hills at 14, 
they, I, I left with a, a garbage bag with my with my belongings in it. Side of the street, bus picked me up. I rolled three and a half, four hours back to racing. Right. So, I and I guess my question too. I know when I had discussed this pre previously with my dad, he didn't know like is there an incentive to have like does Milwaukee want to have like he my dad kind of came at this of counties don't want prisons in their in their areas in their communities so like is that an issue with Milwaukee or is Milwaukee okay with like building them closer to home well, if some, that makes well some counties don't a lot but a lot of times the counties get a economic boost uh, because a lot of times there there are requirements or in the contract the, the, the prisons have to buy from local businesses. Okay. Right? So that's, so, and, and then, so not only do the, the prisons buy locally, but the prisons employ locally. And, and the prisons, in the local, the local population gets a boost in the population. Which we talked about, like, counting on the census. If you're taking people, census. people who are committing crimes in Milwaukee, Racine, mm -hmm. and then they're going into central Wisconsin, which would be more predominantly white. Uh -huh. And most of these, most of these people don't stay. You know, mm -hmm. incarcerated people usually do not stay in the county that they were incarcerated and they go back home. But the census, but, but, but the influx in the, in the census increases the amount of funding yes. and representation that those areas have. So essentially, you're taking from low-income areas and you're transporting people and resources to um, a different area that's predominantly white and conservative. Well, and I think that also, like, it gets into the discussion as well of... Oh, where did my thought go? Oh, shoot. Um, they always do this. No, I was going to say, like, oh, like, the whole, like, prisons as a business, like, mm -hmm. for-profit prisons yeah. of, like... On one hand, you don't really, you want less crime, right? You want less incarcerated people. That would be the ideal situation, right? And so then that kind of goes back to, like, even the government is kind of in these communities are profiting off of prisons. And it's how do you, how do you make a working prison system where people want to have the prison there? You know what I mean, like, to have holes, hold that house, <laughs> hold these uh, prisons in their communities, but then also... You don't want to make it so you want more. You don't want more people coming in. You know what I mean? Like you'd like yeah. a society that could. You would like you would like for it to be that way. Unfortunately, it's not. Unfortunately, there's a there's a financial and political incentive for people to be incarcerated. Yes. Unfortunately, um, and until that changes, right? Until you until you remove the incentives, I think it's going to just continue to be the way it is. But then, like, does the loss of incentives lead to worse conditions? Yeah, I mean, like, that's just a question. I don't know the answer. But, like, is that a concern of if you lose incentives for these communities, do they, you know, have better, less qualified people working in the prisons? Do you get worse food? Does conditions... As, as a man incarcerated, I mean, that's been incarcerated, I, I don't, I genuinely, I don't think you can have worse people. It can't be worse. <laughs> I'm saying you can't have, like... So it's, it's, it's a horrible situation. The men and women that's in prison are being tortured in a lot of different ways. A lot of times, I did, I served 27 years in prison. Not one time, in, and I was in about seven or eight different prisons throughout my entire um, incarceration period. Not one time was I close to home. Like, I was hours away for the entire time. Yeah. Right? So on so many different levels and in so many different ways, you're being punished. Like, and extremely punished. Um, so... From that standpoint, 
it can't get worse. And we've talked about that because we've had other conversations about like schools and stuff of the system isn't working. So like, can it get worse if we try something different? And that's kind of what you're saying is maybe trying to remove some of these incentives to profit off of prison will make things better. You know, it's, it can't get worse, so you gotta well, try something. Yeah, and I mean, so essentially, essentially, the system is set up where you, uh, you got the state and you got populations that's that's profiting from people's imprisonment, essentially people's misery, right? Um, you have um, uh, Scott Walker, for example, adopted the truth and sentencing policy primarily to give federal money, right? So, so you they, it, it's incentivized financially for so many different angles. Until you remove those incentives, then you're gonna the, the status quo will maintain. Can you so. explain that just a little bit? Because I'm not familiar. So, so up until um, 1999, it was the parole, the, the prison system was set up in a way where if you, if let's say for example you got 20 years in prison, you would be eligible for parole after you did a third of your time, and then at, so you would go to the parole board. The parole board would say, well, you need to do A, B, C, and D, and if you do this, you can go home. Okay. Right. Uh, after two thirds of, of that twenty year sentence, you will reach what they call your MR date, which is a mandatory release date. So after two thirds of your sentence, what is that? Uh, about off of twenty? What, what's that? About eighteen years? No, about, yeah, about uh, twelve, oh. thirteen years, something like that. So after yeah. you hit that two third mark, you're you're you have to get released. Um, okay. So when they changed the system of the truth and law, the truth of sentencing and and it changed in 2000. If I got a 20 year sentence, I have to do 20 years, right? So you had okay. you got what they 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 implemented what they call a bifurcated sentence. So it would be like 20 years in and 10 out. Okay, so like for so you would serve the sentence, but the idea is like you would be released and then you're on parole for on parole the next for, right. But but you have to serve your... but you have to serve your whole sentence on the inside. There was no parole board. There was no incentive. Under the old law, you had an incentive to do your programs because you would have to go to the parole board, and the parole board would release you if you do all your programs. When truth and sentencing came, that that left because you had to do. It was a truth and sentence. Your sentence had to be completed before you were released. Oh yeah, I, I can see like both. Like I can see on one hand, like if we're sentencing people, like why aren't you like sentencing them to the time mm-hmm. served? But I can also see like if you are the person being sentenced, like that's an incentive for good behavior to try and participate into... So when you come out of right. jail... Well, it, it's, have, a, it's an incentive to the, to the community as well in comparison to the way it is now. The community wants you to participate in your own rehabilitation. Yeah. Um, and the way the system is set up now, you don't have to. If, if I got 10 years in prison right now, I ain't got to do nothing. I'm going home in 10 years whether I do programs or not. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. At, so, least, at least under the old law... I would have had to do my program to come home earlier. Okay. Yeah. So you I had an incentive to participate in yeah. my own rehabilitation. Currently there is no there is no incentive. Which is what I think at least most people I assume like there and we've talked about this as well. Like there is there is a like sense of punishment. Like if you commit a violent crime, you deserve to be mm-hmm. separated. Mm-hmm. But then also, you know, when we've talked about the conditions, like, are worse than just separating someone. You can see it someone. in my face. You can see yes. it in my eyes. Yeah. Um. I'm definitely going to say it. No, because cause you should no. be separated. Yeah. I, I want to live in a free society as well. I want my family. I want everybody. I want you. I want everybody to live in a free society, like a safe place. No question about it. But I think we are sophisticated enough to separate people when they commit a crime 
but separate them in a way where their conditions aren't torturous. Yes. And we have to care about that. Well, and what I was going with that is the other part of that that I think most people agree is you want to, when, when separated, you want people who have committed a crime to be rehabilitated. You know what I mean? To come out as law-abiding citizens who, you know, aren't going to um, recommit crimes. Absolutely. And so it seems odd that we aren't setting up a system that is pushing people towards rehabilitation. Like, while you're separated, this is the perfect time to try and get people engaged Absolutely. and to think about things as well. When I was in prison, um, almost every prison I went to, the drug units where they had the drug and alcohol programs, those were the units that had the most drugs on them. Yeah. Right? So you have these brothers and sisters in prison at the perfect time where you are in control of what they do on a daily basis. Right? You can, you have them in, in a perfect place to inspire them, to motivate them, to encourage them. Right? To, to feed them, to fuel them. And they don't. They don't use this opportunity. All they, their main focus is to oppress and punish. And we're human beings. I don't care where we at in the world. I don't care who you are. You are going to respond. Your actions will reflect how you feel. Mm-hmm. Right? So if we want people to respond in a proactive, in a real rehabilitative way, then we have to treat them that way. Well, it's like, uh, well, and I, it's not a perfect example, but you almost need understanding of, like, with, like, teachers, because that was my original undergrad degree was in teaching. And the idea of... you a great teacher, too. Oh, thank you. Um, but it's the idea of you need to, like, respect the people you're working with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not sure that's always... The, that's probably not the case a lot of times, but that you respect the the convicts that are in the prison. You know what I mean? Like, you need to have, to get them to engage and to grow and to, you know, and I think what Marquette's doing with the EEP program and, like, EPP. getting, is it, e, wait, EPP. EPP yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I, I doubled the wrong letter. <laughs> Dang it. Um, but I think, like, getting a college, college and classes. only two letters. I know. I, I picked the wrong one. You had a 50-50 chance. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw my you know friend what? under the bus. We're gonna change it to the EEP program. Forget it. <laughs> I'm gonna blame my friend who like has been in one of these classes, and every time I say it, I say EEP, and she's like, Yeah, 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 yeah. And now like, oh, I'm like, she yeah, she doesn't tell me. I've been saying it wrong, like, cause I'm like, yeah, I'm talking to Dante. I met him in the Native American class, right. which was the EEP class. No, it's the EPP it's class. The EPP. <laughs> I'm doing great, guys. I'm doing great. And what's her name? Let's call her out. What's her name? Oh, it's Kate. Kate? No, your friend. Her name is Kate? Yeah, her name's Kate. Kate, great job. Don't worry about it, Kate. Everything's going to be... We love Kate. She's amazing. She's actually... I don't know if you would have worked with her. She's doing a research project. I can't remember the program, but she's looking at, like, juvenile... um, uh, Like, looking at monitoring. Like, the electronic monitoring and, like, how that's a form of, like, invasion for some people to, like, constantly be watched. Yes. And, like, your movement. So she's, like, she's very uh, knowledgeable on this. But let her know that, take a look at some of the sex offenders. Cause you, so you have some sex offenders that are, that got certain kinds of crimes. They have to be monitored for life. Right? Yeah. Life. And not only, not only for life, but they have to pay for their own monitoring. So imagine that. So just tell, that's just tell, okay. That's, and I will. Be, that's an interesting. Topic. Well, it's hard, like, cause like there's some sex sex offenders that are like pedophiles, which yep. in my case I have no sympathy for you. But on the other hand, you also have people who you know it's a 16 year old who 
and had sex with their girlfriend who's like a year younger than them. You know what I mean? Like that it's not necessarily like you were a stupid adolescent and you're now labeled a sex offender versus like people who really did commit you know, horrific crimes. And they should be monitored. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, there's some people that I have more... Like, and I think that's the issue, is I think that we often look at the issue of, like, black and white, of, like, if you're you're a convict, you are a horrible person. And it's like, that's not always the case. Sometimes you have someone who makes a mistake. Mm -hmm. And, and, and you know, you're absolutely right. So let me just say this first, because I have to address that. Yeah, sorry. No, no, I have to address that topic, because I have to. I'm sorry. So, but look, you're right. A lot of people see it that way. Like, if you're a sex offender, you do this and that and that, right? You do this. No. And a lot of, I get that feeling. However, and I used to feel that way too. I don't now. Only, only because I believe now that if we allow anybody to be extremely oppressed, that opens up the door for anybody else Yes, I can see. It's like the slippery slope. It's, it's the it's the um, uh, uh, King Martin Luther King's quote. He said, um, he said, he said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Yeah. So uh, permitting or 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 being okay with injustice in any area, no matter how far we removed from that issue, yeah, is 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 essentially opened up the door for us to be oppressed in issues that are. And that's yeah. how we all connected. That's how we all connect. We we all connected by the threat of injustice. We all have. So that's my that's my yeah. soapbox speech for the day. And I see where you're coming from. We all connected yes. that way because we we live in a world in a where 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 at any time, any one of us can be oppressed. So we have to fight with each other. We have to fight with each other to fight to beat down the the oppression that's that's a, that's affecting us. Yes. No, Personally. and I, I mean, like, even you looking... You feel that point? You get that uh, No, because, like, especially even, like, this is a less, like, I guess extreme example, but even, like, with Congress, it seems like we keep stripping away, like, with the Supreme Court nominations, that has become extremely contentious. We're stripping away, well, now you just need a majority instead of, like, mm -hmm. a super majority. And then, like, the next party comes into power, and they use what just yeah. got passed, and, like, it just keeps, like, devolving further yeah. and further yeah, down absolutely. because we said this one thing was okay, mm -hmm. so now, you know, it's... Exactly. It's boiling out, so I and understand where you're and, coming from. And, and no matter who, no matter, let's say, for example, they made a policy that was extremely oppressing you, you wouldn't care who was helping you fight. I wouldn't. Anybody that's wanting to help me change this policy that's extremely oppressing me and my family, I would invite them to help me fight. And that's and that's and so that's how we connect, and that's one yeah. of the beautiful things about humanity, I think, is that we all connected that way. Yeah. It kind of, and again, this, well, this is like the other extreme, but it reminds me of the quote from the Holocaust of like, first they came from like, for the for you, Jewish yeah. people, yep. and I said nothing, and yep. then they came for yep. exactly. the Marxist, and I said exactly. nothing, and I said nothing until they started to come for me. Exactly. And then there you. was nowhere yep. to speak for the, me, because I had not... You ain't, you wasn't, exactly, you wasn't aligning yourself with... With, with other people because yeah. it wasn't directly impacting you. They are your army. Yeah. These people are your army. You, they're not your color, they're your, your religion, but they're your army when they come for you. Yeah. Uh, the quote was, and I remember that, the quote, he said something like, they come for you in the day, they'll come for me at night. Yeah. And that's just, that's I think that real. might be a variation. There's a bunch of... But that's, that's the same point. It's a beautiful point. Yeah. And I think we have to remember that 
So please, when you if you cut this up, please put that keep that oh, quiet in there. I'm probably not. But that's cut a this very, I don't cut anything. No, that's a very important part. I love yeah. that. That's a very good point. But okay, so let's talk a little bit more. We'll, we'll intertwine. So what's a little bit more of the facts that you have found about Wisconsin prisons? Uh, so, um, like I said, it was it was the, the first prison was 1851. There's currently 20 prisons in the state right now. Um, you, Do you know if that's normal? Like, is that uh, proportional to other states? I, 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 I don't know whether or not it's proportional, but I do know the populations within them is disproportional. Okay. Uh, primarily uh, in comparison to the state right next door to it with a very similar state Minnesota? Minnesota. Okay. Minnesota has a very similar state population, but we double the prison population. Okay. Right? Um, we double the prison population and our disproportionality is larger with regards to black and brown people in prison. I think we make up like 13, 14% of the state, but almost 50% of the prison population, like 40-something percent of the prison population, extremely disproportionate. Uh, one of the organizations that I work with called Wisdom uh, started their campaign some years ago. Uh, it was called 11 by 15. And essentially what it was was to get the prison population down to 11,000 by 2015. Did we come close? No, unfortunately, we didn't. <laughs> but but they made that standard based upon Minnesota's demographics. Yeah. Uh, demo, uh, their demographic was eleven thousand. We was at twenty two thousand at the time, and we still uh, twenty twenty thousand plus, I believe. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so. So, oh, so so you got the so you got uh, I believe for a uh, Green Bay Correctional Institution was the maximum security. Yeah, prison. which is located in Lake Depeer. We talked about that. <laughs> right, right. The Green Bay Prison. We, we talked about this. You were there at one point. I was there for for about 10 years. For 10 years, yeah. which is, we talked about this. I lived in De Pere, mm-hmm. and actually a lot of my listeners probably are from De Pere as well, mm-hmm. my family and friends. But it's one of those things, you know, you drive past it all the time. Like, to get on 172, mm-hmm. you drive past the prison all of so the time. So you drove past it often. Oh, all the time. All the time. So this weekend, I up. drove past it probably three or four right. times. But, so, but you drove past it when you were growing up as well, right? Yes, I, I used to run out to the prison. It was so, about two miles from my house. When you were doing that, I was there. <laughs> no, seriously. Yeah. I was there. But it's like, it's one of those things, and I'm sure people from the area will agree, like, you don't think about what's actually going on in the prison. Like, mm-hmm. the closest I had was I had a friend who was a, well, he was one of my uh, junior rifle coaches, he was a prison, a correctional officer, and he didn't really talk about it that much. But, like, that was, like, as close as I came to considering what was going on inside because there was someone who was on the outside that went inside. But, no. So, so just quickly before we change something, what was your perspective of it, like, as you were, like, seeing that? Like, what did you... I mean, like, it's this, I mean, like, part of me is, like, it's a look cool-looking, well, that sounds weird, but, like, if you go on the front no, of it, it's a, it's a cool-looking building. Like, it's old, because I think it was the 18, it was one, like, it's an older prison. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, the first prison was 1852, so it's after that. Mm-hmm. But it kind of looks, like, almost like a castle. It does. But then, like, the walls, you just kind of, like, see it, because behind it, I probably drew, drove by more, the back of it, of just these walls. And like I said, it's, you never really see, like, I've never driven by and seen a prisoner, seen anything that goes on inside. So, like, it's crazy. There's this, like, part of the city that it's a, takes up, like, multiple blocks. It's huge. Yeah. And, and it, it, it was actually constructed in 1897, and the people that started to construct it were actually prisoners. Prisoners, yeah. Yeah, yeah prisoners. So they, they took prisoners from Walpon, 
uh, reformatory school and, and, brought, them and brought them over there. And also another like a side note about Walpon back in the day when it first was created, um, it was co-ed. Yes, I saw that yeah. as well. It was men and women there um, in the beginning. Do you know? Well, I don't know if you saw anything of like if there's any issues with having like co-ed because obviously you kind of separate prisoners today because you don't want interactions and, and and it was actually coy when i got locked up in 95 it was it was not not Wapan, but uh the, dodge. The dodge dodge correctional so dodge correctional is is the prison it's like the hub so when whenever you get a sentence a fresh sentence you go to dodge and dodge essentially and, you, and typically you're there for like 30 days okay and Dodge essentially tells you what programs uh, you, you you have a hearing that's called the pro uh, excuse me the the uh, um, program review committee, and you have one of those yearly when you're in prison. But your first one is at Dodge, and the program review committee essentially tells you what programs you have to complete while you're incarcerated to be released, and then they tell you what prison you're going to. So, because you said you were you were there for ten years, at the Green, Green Bay, Bay one. For 10 years, yeah. So I'm very not knowledgeable on this. Why do you get moved around? Like why? Like to me, it's like you get sentenced to a prison. Why wouldn't you just like stay in the same prison? Like why are you getting moved? So, so for a couple of reasons. Good question. For a couple of reasons. Um, one is classification. So you have what you call a maximum security prison, a medium security prison, and then a minimum security prison. Each level, when you go down, is less monitored. Okay. The maximum is the most severe monitor which is what Green Bay is. Mm-hmm. So everybody who has a certain kind of sentence, like you have a, a long sentence, you start a max. Or if you had dodged, you get into a fight, and you have a, a small sentence, they'll send you to a max, and then you navigate your way down to a minimum. Okay. Yeah. So that's one reason you'll go to a maximum security prison. Another reason for, for pro, well, that's one reason you'll get moved around. Another reason you get moved around is for programs. You have certain programs that are designated to certain institutions. So, okay. so if you're at one prison, they're doing one program, and you have to do another program before you go home, they'll ship you to another prison to complete that program. Okay. Yeah. And, and then the, I guess the final reason would be um, the, the, the main purpose, ideally, like it's supposed to be, you get, you go, you, so if you start at max, you go to a medium, then you go to a minimum. And once you get to a minimum, you can get a job out in the community. Like literally oh, working I didn't know that. In, in the community. Um, and they have, uh, I think, 10, 15 minimum security, about, no, about 10 minimum security prisons right now throughout so the So are state. these kind of like halfway houses? Are they like smaller? Well, they're or? smaller. They're definitely smaller. Um, they have, some of them have a fence around it. You have three secure minimums. Uh, one of them is Sturdivant uh, Transition Facility, which is in Sturdivant, Wisconsin. Um, another one is Oak Hill. And then another one is Prairie Sheen. In Purdue, and then another one is John Burke Center, which is in Dodge Correctional Institute, well, right behind Dodge. And they, so these have a fence around it. Now you have some other minimums that don't have any fence around it, and you can like it's wide open. You leave and go. You know what okay. Yeah. So that's kind of more, so more it, like a halfway house versus some it's of more these like are a more. House, but it's actual. a facility though. And, yes. and It's not. It's not. A lot of the halfway houses are literally like literal houses. Yes. In neighborhoods. These ones, the minimums are on a compound. You know what I mean? Yes. They're on a compound. They have the like halfway sense of like you are how still. How you live there, but it. The, the but way you're it still looks, in a. You're still in prison. Yes. And they, they have correctional officers there um, at, 
in most halfway houses they don't. In most yeah. halfway houses they have um, just people that just released from prison living there for a certain amount of time. They, they actually call them a TLP, temporary living placement. And you go to a TLP for 60 days, maybe 90 days, if you can get an extension from your parole agent. And okay. then, you, then you, you're supposed to save up and you know, get your own place and transition from there. Are these programs that you talk about, like, are they being carried out well? Like, were you... I, so <laughs> we, have, a, we have another that guest that I just see question. her shaking her head no. No, that's a fantastic <laughs> question. Um, no. No, they are not. And, and part of the reason they are not. And some, and I took most of them to to be released. I had to take a lot of them, so I took a lot of them. But um, the literature, some of the literature makes sense, but most of the time, the problem are the facilitators. You, they don't hire the right people, right? It's not the right atmosphere, not the right energy. It's, they their tempest is really off. Um, and 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 a lot of the other programs, the literature is horrible, right? So the anger management program that I took. I actually used a couple of times that stop and think kind of idea, right? Yeah. I've had to stop and think. Um, I had to stop and think a couple of times with our with our guests in the room. <laughs> 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 I'll just tease. I'll just tease. But it's 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 the literature is good. Most of the time, it's the people. Okay. Most of the time, it's the people in the structure of it all. So good idea, not being carried out. Like, you would advocate for having these programs. Yes. But there needs to be improvement on the facilitation of them to actually... Because, I mean, there is a very high recidivism rate, like, all over the country. So clearly, like, if we have these programs, they're not... Something's going awry there, and if it's not necessarily just the literature, then maybe... Like I said, if you're... I don't know the training, but you'd think you'd want someone who is kind of trained in, like, education and kind of communicating with people so they know how to effectively do so. Like, if you're expecting, to like, teachers to go to college, have a degree in this, wouldn't you want at least, like, some courses for correctionals officers? Absolutely. Absolutely. But, um, you would think so. Unfortunately, a lot of times, unfortunately, a lot of times, um, they they make the situation worse, right? Um, by being in up, by not paying attention to their crowd, who they're talking to. Um, people just get frustrated. Is it like, is there like a sense of like antagonism? It can be. It can be. I've been in, I've been in programs where that was, uh, but you, if you owe law, you have to do it. If you're under the old law, like I was, you have to do the program. Okay. The brothers and sisters who aren't under the old law and they do the programs, their only incentive is once they finish the program, they may get sent to a minimum security prison. Okay. Right. So that's the only incentive they got the program. But they they know when they're going home. If you're under the old law, you don't know when you're going home. Essentially, so it's dependent upon you finishing the so program. So what is the old? It's, it's, it's the law that's prior to nineteen. Okay. Like prior to two thousand. Okay. It's, so it's, you... it's, it's, it's the system I, I explained about. Have to see the parole board. Okay. So okay. Yeah. Sorry, I wanted to clarify no, again. No problem. No problem at all. <laughs> but. Did you find any other history facts you wanted to uh, um, share? I mean, other, other than, like, the most recent prison is, um, it was um, New Lisbon. Uh, I've actually been there, a uh, very small prison. I think about 900 people. Um, it's main, they have a bakery there. Um, that, that's So, again, the people that got 
because you can get that specific program. So you would go there specifically for that purpose. Okay. Yeah. So we'll we'll bring it back a little bit to Wisconsin history because my first podcast episode was on Joshua Glover. Okay. Which was, um, for any of listeners who haven't listened to it, first you should probably go listen to it. <laughs> Although don't judge me too bad because that was my first episode and it wasn't... We've improved. We've improved. The microphone has definitely improved. Um, but Joshua Glover is the story of an escaped slave who comes to Racine and under the Fugitive Slave Act is tracked down and brought to Milwaukee County so he can be transported back to his owner. Mm. Owner in quotation marks because mm. no one should own human beings. Um but then he's broken out of jail in Milwaukee County. Like, there's, it was Sherman Booth, I think, came and rallied, I think it was 4,000 people, which was a huge proportion considering the size of Milwaukee and Racine County at wow. that time. Like, I think it was a fourth of Racine County. Mm. I don't know. It wasn't, like, necessarily just from Racine. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's a fourth of the population at that point. That's right. a large chunk. Absolutely. So they broke him out of jail and they got him on the Underground Railroad. And he's off into Canada, and you are head of a, or you're part of an organization. I'm, 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 I'm on the board of a organization called Joshua Glover Justice Fund. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that? So essentially, what it is is um, it's a group of um, men and women from Racine County, um, great group of people. Um, some a couple of my local politicians, a business owner, uh, community uh, organizers, and activists. Um, and essentially, what we do on this board. And we, 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 we just recently uh, filed for our 501c3 status. Um, is that a nonprofit? Nonprofit, to us? Yeah. yep. Um, and so essentially what we do is we, we through, solely through donations, we take applications for men and women that's currently incarcerated in the county jail, the Racine County Jail, and we bail them out. So they don't rally four thousand people just to like pitchfork it no. and like break some out of no, jail. But it's a great idea. <laughs> I love the story, right? But no, we just we take we take some money down there, we build them out, and we uh, I'm I'm the uh, certified peer support specialist, directly impacted person on the board, and so I connect them with resources and I walk with them through the process. So it's not just. Because, and we'll get to, because obviously, like, cash bail has become a contentious issue, not only in Wisconsin, but the country. But this isn't just a, we're going to pay your bail and have fun, see you later. Mm -hmm. This program's giving people the support system to make sure that they're getting the aid they need Mm -hmm. to navigate this process. Because I think everyone can agree that our legal system isn't necessarily the most straightforward system. No, it's extremely slated against the defendant. And so to give them the resources, but then also the support to make sure, like, while they're out, they're on the right track, they're supported. Absolutely. Which I think is, like, I think if you look at a lot of, you know, inner city crime, it's also just not that families are bad families, but they don't always have the support system. If you're a single parent household and you are dependent on that income, you're maybe not as available to help your kids as you may like. Absolutely. And so it's kind of like that cycle of... How do you prevent it? So you're kind of stepping in and saying, "Hey, you you got off the wrong track. Mm-hmm. Let's kind of get you on the right track and to be there as someone who's experienced it too." Well, yes, yes and no. Um, some people we just bail them out. We simply believe that the system. We believe that if he wasn't, if this if this man or woman wasn't broke and disproportionately black, 
they would have enough money to build themselves out. We think the system is wrong. We think we think the system has a impact on low income people and with regards to bail, having access to bail and being able to pay the bail. And we we simply think that's wrong. Okay. Um, men and women who are black or white should have the same opportunity to go home. Bail shouldn't be something that gets in the way because we all know that bail is something that black and brown people typically don't, can't pay. And white people can, to be blunt, right? So it's disproportionately hurting black and brown or poor people. Okay. And that's wrong. We just think that's wrong. Now we just added, we just added me on the on the on the board about four or five months ago, and as a peer, as a certified peer support specialist, I've volunteered to play that role and okay. walk with them. But prior to that, it was just the agenda was just a. It's, it, it, the system is 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 off balance, so this is our way of trying to balance it out. So, and I think this is a good segue because, and I think that you're right. Like obviously. There are disadvantages if you don't have the means, and especially, and I think it's highlighted in urban areas. I was talking to someone yesterday, like, you have, Milwaukee has some of the richest people living in it. If you go down Lakeshore Drive, but then you also have some of the most disadvantaged people living in Milwaukee. But, but, it, but it's intentionally disadvantaged, and that's the point that we're trying to make. It's intentionally disadvantaged. The bail system is intentionally focused on those, on that demographic. Period. It's intentional. They know who it's going to impact, and they and they maintain the status quo, knowing the outcome. So that 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 reveals intent. So and I'm not disagreeing with you, but we're like please we're, no. Uh, no no I'm like I I mean the one thing I would ask so we and I think that this just comes up and I want to clarify it of we talk about like it's intentional or it's built that way and like what and I don't disagree I do like on the poverty aspect I get it. Yeah, I mean, like, if you just don't have the means, of course. Like, I mean, like, I think we see it all the time when you have, like, rich people commit these crimes. It's like a million-dollar bail, and they're like, here you go. Like, I'm out the next day. See ya. You know, um, like, how, where would you point to, like, saying, like, this is where it started? Or, yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know if that makes sense. But, like, where would you say, like, hey, like, this is where this law was created. This was the intentions behind it. Like, I know I was talking to someone about, like, Central Park like messed up like a predominantly black community and it was intentionally done well, so well you can go all the way back to the fees they were making people pay for slave during slavery time to vote like years ago like they, a poll tax yeah they had a poll tax and they knew that the poll tax was disproportionately hurting black and brown people they couldn't pay that or reading or reading uh requirements Right, so yeah. they, they they create all of these requirements, knowing that it's, it's specifically designated to impact a certain amount of people. The same thing with a lot of Republicans and conservatives like to do now with the ID. They were trying to make it where you couldn't vote without the ID, knowing who that's disproportionately going to impact. So, so the outcome exposes the intent. The outcome so, of a policy and a and an idea exposes the intent. And I think, so this would be a good segue. So we talked to, so, because it's, this is very relevant today, right? Because there's just two ballots that were on the past election, two referendums Mm -hmm. that had to do with bail. And so it has, I guess what I'm saying is I think some people are coming from an honest place when they worry about crime. There's been a spike Mm -hmm. in crime since COVID. And we can get into, like, what that did to 
that's a whole other discussion of what COVID did to... We'd love to have this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you just have to come back on again. Um, what, it, what it did to impoverished communities. You know what I mean? Like, the richest people were fine during COVID. You know what I mean? Like, they yeah. are still making money, but it was small communities whose businesses were shut down. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's definitely a, I think, at least a correlation between increasing crime and the policies that were implemented during COVID. Mm-hmm. But, so you saw... And we'll talk about, like, and I, I don't think that we should create laws about one single incident, right? Mm-hmm. But in Wisconsin, I think a lot of people were horrified with Daryl Brooks and the Waukesha Parade. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of come up and say, like, hey, we need to do something. Mm-hmm. And so there's kind of this rail against, like, cash bail or, like, low cash bail. Because he was released on, I think, $1,000 mm-hmm. after violently attacking his girlfriend or ex-wife i'm not quite sure and so people look at that and they're like well we need like increased bail like he shouldn't have been let out on a thousand dollars like he should have been in jail so So, so, like i think so i guess how would you respond to people who i think are concerned like they don't want that to happen in their communities i don't think anyone wants that to happen in their communities And, and they're correct to be concerned right obviously night again i want to save community like everybody else yeah however how many times have that ever happened before? This is not something that recurs, that completely, that consistently happens. Like this isn't that was an anomaly, right? So how do you how do you create these policies that's going to impact so many people for something that that rarely happened? And, and when you do that, in my estimation, you're doing it purposely because again, you it's a it's a horrible incident. That brother has some mental illnesses. Obviously, he has yes. some things going on, right? So that so so the, that mental illness is another option. I mean, it's another like thing that needs to be talked about and addressed. Like, why wasn't mental illness a, a part of his incarceration? Like when he was incarcerated, why wasn't he looked at? Why wasn't he examined? Why you know what I'm saying? Why so, didn't someone so there catch were so many was other pieces to that. But what they like to do is focus on the policies that that in, impact so many people people that they tend to think deserve that kind of impact. They use it as an excuse. You know what they say, don't don't take a, a hatchet when you should have a scalpel, right? Yeah. Use a scalpel and be precise with what you're doing, and they don't. And these policies are extremely oppressive. They're extremely torturous. They're making things worse. So you're you're not saying like absolutely no reforms to be made, but no. you think that these are maybe being painted with too broad of a stroke absolutely. that are going to hurt people. Absolutely. And we talked about for an anomaly. Yes, and I mean I think because like and granted, obviously I will because I have not looked into it. I'm not done a huge chunk of research. Right. Clearly, you're more informed than I. But they always pick up people no, who they can point. Oh, well, I try to be, but it's not like I've like done in-depth research looking at it. So I hear yeah. examples, but sometimes you have to go like, "Hey, like these are great." It's anecdotal a little bit. You know what I mean? Like when I you do. hear these stories, but like it's not just like, and this is across the country. Like I've heard like, "Hey, you had this many crimes, and like how many of them were committed by like the same person?" But I do agree. I think that might be a failure of the system then, like it that is. you don't have to. If that's happening over and over again, well, then why aren't we addressing it? So look at it like this. That's the, the same thing that happened in that case with the bail referendum. It's the same thing that created mass incarceration, right? They took a couple incidences years ago and created these policies that incorporated so many people well, that you... created this monstrous system that's, that got so many people incarcerated who don't deserve to be there. And there's that conversation of, like, 
And especially it's becoming interesting as states have legalized marijuana of how many people have been incarcerated oh, exactly. for, you know, possession of marijuana. And now I think, like, it's a pretty commonly, you know, that's becoming a lot destigmatized of, like, everyone's using marijuana, you know, or, like... No, so, no that's, a, that's a clean, pretty example. It's, a, it's an accurate example, but it's pretty. Let, yes. me, let me give you another example. Another example is, is homicide, right? So you got this system, mass incarceration. One of the tenets of it is that it overcharges people, right? So, so you can create, you can commit a homicide, and it'd be, uh, 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 they got different uh, statutory definitions of a homicide. Well, because and, there's and, like manslaughter. There's, well, not, there's, that's, that's not manslaughter no. in the state of Wisconsin. There's reckless homicide. There's a second degree homicide. There's felony, felony murder, oh, first degree, right? Okay. So you got, in all of these different statues, got different of like definitions. The circumstance. Of the circumstances. That, so, but they all carry more time, different okay. variations of time. So what mass incarceration typically does is charge you with the worst one, even though you're guilty of the, of the, of the, lower. Of the lower one. In the, in the time structure between the, the lowest um, statue of homicide in this state is 20 years on the low end and life without the possibility on the other end. So you got thousands of people that's locked up right now because even though they committed a crime, they didn't commit a crime that they were found guilty of. Therefore, they shouldn't have the amount of time that they got. Okay. That's one of the things that mass incarceration does. Well, I think that's also like, oh, it'd be it'd be very nice if we could have. Although I don't, I don't. And that's like, wrong. I don't, I don't like it. Yeah. And that's wrong. Adam. No, it is wrong. But like, it's the because there's the human element. Because I feel like in some cases, like people, like a community gets riled up, and then a prosecutor feels the need to overcharge because they want to match like the kind of reaction of the public. And so I was like, it almost be nice if you could have like. An impartial, and I said AI, but I don't like AI, so I wouldn't. I don't advocate for AIs deciding <laughs> our sentences. Um, but it's just like kind of that, and I think that's always going to be. We can minimize it, but there's always going to be a element of human error and like just bias in any system we create. Like it doesn't even matter if it's prison education. Like nothing's ever going to be perfect. But that's not okay. But we need to work towards making it. I'm not saying we should just like, not accept okay. it. No, that's not okay. No. Because while that's happening, people are dying. Why, why that's happening, people are suffering. Why, why that's happening, people are starving. No, I'm just saying like if I could create something perfect, which I can't. I guess that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we should no, like, oh, no, this like no, I know, system. No, I know that's not what you're saying, but you got people who believe that and justify that, and not that acting rationale, on it. Exactly. And okay. that rationale makes them at peace. Ah, uh, it's okay. Um, it's always going to be that way. There's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and again, back to our, our, our recent, our, 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 our previous conversation, people feel that way until some kind of injustice impacts them. Yes. Right? Right? So we, we can't, we can't adopt that. We can't allow that to be okay. Yes. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Yeah. So, Let's talk a m little bit, I know, because you have to do an interview after us, which is why we have a second guest in here. You guys don't get to hear her. She seems very nice, though. Um, but let's talk a little sometimes. bit. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> she, she's got the, she has the other end of this experience. <laughs> All right. But, so let's talk briefly about Expo Wisconsin. Okay. Because I think we've discussed, like, there's a lot of issues going on, mm -hmm. Right. So, which I think is the other thing of people go, there's a lot of issues going on and I don't know what to do about it. I don't know how to fix this because mm -hmm. it seems too large. Okay. 
So, like, what is Expo Wisconsin? Like, what are some main goals that you're, like, focusing on first? Not saying that other issues aren't, right, shouldn't right. be addressed, but obviously you kind of have to take so, this piece by piece. So, so our, our whole, our, our creation, our mission is to dismantle mass incarceration in all of its forms and to return men and women back to full citizenship upon release. So that's essentially our goal and our mission. And to do it led by directly impacted men and women. Closest person to the problem is the closest people to the solution, right? So as an organization, as a statewide organization, we have, we have some statewide goals and then we have local goals. Uh, and the local goals are consistent with local issues, right? So the, the, the different localities got different focuses. Um, in the state of Wisconsin, for our statewide, it's unlocked the vote. As I explained a minute ago about return, restoring the voting rights, um, we have a petition online at expowisconsin.org. Uh, I would love, I would very much appreciate if anybody listening would go on our website, sign our petition. Which, which I will have a link in the description of whatever podcast you are listening to, so you can go check that out. Thank you. I appreciate that. Another statewide um, uh, campaign that we have is uh, Locked Up on the, it's called Locked Up on the Outside. Essentially, um, we're trying to cap the amount of time that men and women are, can, can get probation or, or parole, right? So we, so we lead the nation in the amount of time that you get on pro, probation. Well, third in the nation. So making sure you're not going to spend the rest of your life on yeah, probation. Put a cap on it, right? Uh, put a cap on it. The, the, the faster you're on probation, the faster you, you, you get returned to full citizenship. Well, and I feel like you also, like, it's the resentment too. You know what I mean? If you yeah. spend... 30-some years of your life on probation constantly being monitored in various ways, whether exactly. that's actual electronic monitoring or checking in, you don't feel like, you don't have the feeling of returning to full citizenship. Because you're not. Because you're yeah. not. You, you, you're, you're not. Like, completely, utterly, you're not. I mean, you already can't, you can't only, you can't, you already can't have a farm because you're a felon. Um, but you can't vote. Um, you have to see a parole agent. Right, and that comes with a whole long list of other anxieties and issues. You always have to report to someone else. You have to report. um, You can't leave the state unless you're given permission to. Um, You have to. You're subject to um, a a urine test. Um, In some cases, you have a curfew. In some cases, you have a bracelet. Right, so there's yeah. so many checks and balances. In a lot of cases, you have a really, 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 really horrible PO. Right, that's really no shit. That and it, it's oppressive to have a horrible PO because this person can send you back at any time. One of the brothers just got out after being sent back to to, to uh, MSDF here in Milwaukee um, because he was just being investigated for something that the PO thought may or may not have been accurate. It came out to be inaccurate. However, the brother sat for like 27 days. He has his own place. He has a job, right? So, Which some jobs aren't understanding no, that... most jobs aren't. You can't yeah. be gone for 27 days without coming to work, right? And then you got to pay your rent, right? So mm-hmm. it's got a dog. There's right? a ripple effect. It's so, it's, yes, and it happens often. Like, this isn't... So, and in the state of Wisconsin, you can... you Let's say, for example, I do I got five years probation. So I, I'm five years probation. I do four years on probation. I'm going to get off next year. God forbid something happens and I get sent back to prison because of some violation. Not a new charge, just because some violation. Let's say let's say they said I went over state lines and I was supposed to. So now they're sending me back to prison. 
Now I got I only got I've been on it for four years. I'm supposed to get off next year. If I get revocated and sent back to prison, that four years I did is erased. I still have to do the five years. Yeah. Right. So it can be a vicious circle. Uh, and you have to pay to be on probation. Right, so it's just so many nuances. So what are you paying? Like you paying probation fees. You paying to you processing the 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 for the 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 amount of money spent to have you on probation. And, and which it which it just seems odd, especially because oftentimes like what drives crime is poverty. Yeah, you know what I mean that yes, you are then continually taking. Yes, and like sucking, you're yes. you're trying to like it does kind of further disadvantage. Yes. Absolutely. To, you know, like you said, you're taking if you're you come in yeah. there is a stigma against hiring ex convicts. You know what I mean? Like people like how many times like do you I mean I think every time I've applied for a job it's like do you have a felony or have you been convicted of a crime? Absolutely. And, yep. you know, it doesn't affect me, but obviously if that ever were to and then you come out, how hard is it then to get a job because people have, well, you're a criminal. Absolutely. You know what I mean? The, yes. It's real. And so, and it's stressful. Yes. It's wrong, can... right? So, um, so we're trying, to, we're trying to curb that. We're trying to, like, stop, put a cap on it legislatively. Um, there's a bill that we put together. Um, we're in the process of garnering some support for it. Um, another thing that we focus on is is transition uh, housing for women. Uh, we're in the process right now of getting a home in Madison uh, for when women come home, and then we'll be expanding on that. It'll be a, a one for men, I think, in Milwaukee after that. So we do that, like, statewide. So that's our some of our statewide agendas. On the local side, I work with uh, a, a network of people um, with uh, the, what we call a participatory defense network. I am the expo organizer on this committee and essentially this it's an effort on our part to to, to level out the, the the playing field with regards to the, the criminal defendant um we 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 assist them with resources we have a lawyer that's uh, on our board that has uh, assisted us and to like give um, um insight with the lawful help uh, yeah. in, in the case that they need it, we rally around the family. We do what we call court observances, where we go into the courtroom to observe. We're trained by the lawyer, and we know what to look for. So I take a team, like, once a week into the, the, the courtroom in Racine County um, simply to show support for the defendant and to observe that process. And then the, the Joshua Glover Justice Fund is a member of the Participatory Defense Network as well. Uh, and again, I'm the I'm the the directly impacted uh, peer support, and I'm a member of the core team. So I work directly with the families um, to uh, help them get connected to different resources and just to help them navigate through the process. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So well, let me look at my questions because I had questions that I've not really asked because you know <laughs> Dante's such a good talker. You know. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it. Well, you you, you ask good questions. Well, I, I try. Like I said, you make it easy. Like, it's easy to bounce back and forth. Um, I asked you about the referendums, um, increased crime. Um, I guess maybe kind of to wrap it up, like, is there any focus on, like, because obviously your main focus right now is, like, helping ex-convicts. Is there any programs that you're trying to, in a way, prevent people from getting into this pipeline. You know what I mean? Because I think you kind of alluded to this. You started kind of committing crimes when you were young. 
And a lot of times if you're committing crimes when you're young, it's not because you're a bad person, but more of like you're influenced by the situation you're in. Mm -hmm. Is there any focus on trying to kind of prevent, trying to stop it before it gets to where you ended up, which was so in I, prison? So part of my story, I, didn't, I haven't told it yet, but part of my story is that I, I was waived into the dark criminal justice system at 17 years old. And I spent 27 years. I came home last year, March 8th. Right. Um, since I've been home, I've gotten certified as a peer support specialist. And one of the things, so in our organization, it's part civic engagement where we where we engage policy, but the other part is peer support. So we walk with men and women in different scenarios. I talked to the juveniles and juvenile detention centers in Madison uh, several times since I've been home. Uh, I was working as a peer support specialist where I was walking with teenagers, right? Uh, and I currently work in a hospital where I work with um, teens and adults who overdose on uh, different drugs, I get them connected to treatment and I walk with them through that process. So what I do personally is I just use my story. You may disagree with what I got to say, but you cannot tell me I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. Oh, right? I, I think no, you're, no, 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 you're not I mean, saying people, me. You're yeah, saying the, in yeah. general. So yes. when I tell my story to people, they can, you, you can disagree, but you can't tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. So I use that. Yeah. I use that. So I use the story, the details of my story, and I engage people. And I, whenever I tell my story to some kids, they always shut up and listen. Uh, they gonna, you know, they gonna act up. They gonna do what they gonna do. But I know they hear me, right? So I use that. I yeah. use that part. No, and I know, like, for like, I because I've talked to you or not. I've talked about you to my like brother and my dad okay. just because I'm like, hey, I had this cool conversation. Um, but like, even my brother, who he's only two years older than I am, okay. so he's twenty five, twenty six. But no, he's twenty six because. He just had his birthday, and then I'll have okay. my birthday in July. I have to remember that. Once we start having birthdays, we're two years apart. Oh, look, but like... get that down, and then you get Cottingham down. <laughs> I've been working on that we for 23 that years birth. now. And then we'll get Cottingham down later on. But, like, he even said that, you know, when, like, he did do stupid stuff when he was, yeah. you know, 16, 17. Yeah. And, like, not that we're super wise and experienced, but once you get, I think probably 22, 23, I think you start having the capacity to maybe think a little bit more for yourself Absolutely. and to have that foresight. And up until then, I mean, I think that your like frontal cortex isn't like fully de developed till you're 25. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's hard of like, you want to prevent crimes, but also uh, you're punishing people who I don't like aren't full formed human beings, I guess yet. Yeah, I mean, like they aren't necessarily making these decisions because they want to, or they're more being driven by like their circumstances. Mm -hmm. And Sam said, like you know, given the different circumstances, he could see himself having end up completely different. Yeah, I mean, if he didn't have the support system that he had, you got so you got a bunch of kids like from where I grew up. You got a bunch of kids that was going through some stuff that they didn't even understand. I didn't understand what I was going through too. 10, 15 years later, and I was in prison in the hole somewhere and just really honestly taking a look at what was going on in my life, right? So you got a bunch of kids that's angry, they're confused, they, they feel abandoned, they, they, they thirsty for love and affection, right? You got these kids, these black and brown kids. A lot of people don't like to see black and brown kids that way, but that's all it is. Yeah. I wonder it all. That's all it is, right? You got the kids that's missing all of these very fundamental pieces and then you throw guns and drugs in the mix of that well especially if you have and like it's a cycle right of if you have a friend or a brother who's also involved in yeah. it 
and then you're involved in it, and it just kind of spreads out. Like, I mean, like, you're just yeah, getting yeah, more... Because yeah, yeah. you are, to some extent, who you spend time with. You, I mean, like, you, you are, are influenced... You 90% of who you hang around with. Period. You just are. Um, unfortunately, in, in, in our case, I, I met so many brothers on the inside. It's no exaggeration. So many brothers on the inside that by the time I met them in their 20s, mid-20s, late-20s, excellent brothers that would have accomplished some phenomenal things if they had just made it through them very, 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 like, weird years in them teenage years, right? Just some excellent guys. Uh, luckily, some of them are home, um, and I've had the pleasure of meeting them. Uh, a lot of them doing great, but unfortunately, some of them are stuck there and will never come home. Um, so I talked to a lot of them. I got a friend that called me this morning on the way to uh, Madison. And he went in at when he was 16 years old back in 97. And he's not parole eligible to 2098. Right, and he already been in 30 years, almost 30 yeah, years, right? So it's just... It's, 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 it's a life sentence at It's that a point. death sentence. Yeah. It's a death sentence, right? So that's wrong, yeah. right? So... We're in the process. We're trying to do some about it. I'm advocating for him. We're we're trying to work it out. But he's not the only one. It's so many stories like that. Yeah. And I think people need to understand that. I think people need to know the truth, and then they make their decision about like what's right and what's wrong. But unfortunately, a lot of people just don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm very glad that I had the, and I didn't know that when I signed up for the Native American class. Um, oh, you didn't know it was a EEP. No, I just messed with you. I know now. I know now. Um, no, I didn't know. I didn't know it was an EPP No, program. up until, like, everyone started, like, actually, okay, I didn't even realize that, like, the first couple of classes. Oh, until, really? like, well, because I'm like, that's oh, I was like, oh, there's a bunch of adults here. That's cool. That's like, you know, up. and then, Oh, like, so you did see the adults? Well, I saw the adults. See, I was hoping I, I, I was hoping I wasn't seen. Oh, he's another student. No, <laughs> I saw the adults, but then, like, I, I was hoping. I, I didn't realize, like, until, like... So I didn't blend in? No. Oh. <laughs> none, of, none of you... I really enjoyed having you all in class, but no, none of you blended in. I wanted to blend in? Why? I blend in. Oh, oh, my God. I'm just heartbroken now. All the... <laughs> I'm sorry, I gave you a No. So everybody knew I was grown? <laughs> I can't speak for everyone. Okay, well, okay. So I got some hope there. So maybe I did blend in with some people. The other guests said, no, it didn't happen that way. I have hope. I'm just no, But, like, I didn't know what EV, the EPP program was. You know what I mean? So, like, I just saw there was people. I'm like, oh, maybe it's like she a night class. thought old people. Go, go and say what you want to say. Adults, I'm going yeah, go adults. Okay, I do not. This is a hot take. Well, no, this is what I'm gonna say. This is my hot take. I don't think college students are adults. Like they're like that's so politically correct. Thank you, I appreciate. That. So I consider adults anyone who like it has a full time. We don't swear on the podcast, but yes. Um. No, but like. I just thought it was, like, a program for people who maybe had jobs. You know what I mean? Like, it was a night class. She just came over herself. 
I thought you were okay. Anyways, anyways, it was. Alright, I'm gonna just stop talking with my foot in my mouth. Anyways, um, old people with jobs. <laughs> Essentially, I'm I'm really good at insulting my guests. No, that's what's the thank you. No, I but like until you guys started started talking about your experiences in mm, prison, right. that I realized like, oh, there's a connection here. Like, there's something going on. There's something going Something's on. Something's not right. But, like, I also just really appreciated the fact that, like, the connection, and I don't know if a lot of you knew each other prior to that class, mm. but there was just, like, it felt like such a support. I mean, I think the college students well, well, pri- joined in that. But pr- Prior to us taking that first class, we had a class that was preparing us for class, class. for actual class with actual students. And that class that was preparing us was only us. Okay. That was so, only so you us. had so met a, prior. We had met prior going through that, I think it was like two or three weeks of a preparedness. Yeah. But, like, I just thought, and even, oh, I'm forgetting one of the gentleman's names. He was very nice. But there was Mike. Yeah, Mike. Yeah. And then there was another gentleman who would have. Yeah, Juan. that, that would have been in different gangs. Like, at one yeah, point, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, they Juan, would have. Juan and Mike. Yeah, yeah they, they would have been, like, enemies. Yeah, and more, it was, yeah. like, kind of really, like, touching to see them like in this sweet, class really. of saying like at one point we would have wanted each right. other hard yeah, 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 yeah. and now they're in this class they're yeah. kind of helping each other and it was just very nice to see like this community of support Absolutely. that came out which like I think that that's kind of one of the most important thing is having that support you know what I mean and I talked about that in, that in our class of like I don't know where I would be without my family yeah, and so for people who and it's not always because their family doesn't love them, but the family doesn't have the support or the ability mm-hmm. to give them what they need due to trying to financially provide. They can't always or, or, emotionally. Or, or the trauma. You know, it's yeah. just, just, just a cycle. cycles of trauma. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm really glad that I took that class, that even so. though I had no idea what I was in for. But yeah. So now I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm remembering all of this. Now I'm putting all of this in context now. Now I can remember. I, I I think I can recall the first day she, where she said to herself, "It's a bunch of old people." Yeah. <laughs> Just by the look on her face, I remember. I remember looking around like, "What is going?" Really? Because I think I was sitting in the front of the classroom. I don't think anyone saw me. Old in here. Now, yeah. I, now I enjoyed the class. Yeah. I genuinely do. It was it was it was thoughtful. It was uh, uh Brian was awesome. Yes. Uh, the students were pretty cool as well. So yeah. Uh, and some I connections think, made in there. That was pretty cool. I think because some of those classes actually go into the prison as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them, some of them go inside. I think Sturdivant and a couple other ones. Um, and I, I believe they're accredited as well. Yeah. yeah. Which I think, I, and that's I've always believed that like education is the key. It is. Yeah, you know I mean, like, and you don't always have to agree on, but being educated on the issue and understanding it fully prevents you from looking at, you know, what people are saying and being like, well, that's a fact. Yeah, when no, it's like... Mm. No, that, that's true, but even beyond that, it builds confidence. And you're talking about a lot of people that hasn't had a lot of educational confidence, like didn't believe that they could be educationally successful, yeah. including myself. Um, I didn't think that until I started trying, and I, I got to the point where I was taking every college credit course that they presented. And the more that I took them, the more confident I was, the more... Um, I became like rooted in my vision for myself and my future. Yeah. Uh, so it's extremely important. I'm literally on a committee. I was in Madison more. I'm on a committee where we're trying to facilitate a more effective and successful college experience for men and women on the inside. 
right? They already have programs on the inside, but they asked us to help them do it better. Yeah. So we're in the process of working that out based upon our lived experience. So well, there's I, a lot of hope there. I think that's always the trying to make improvements and, you know, Absolutely. make things better. Absolutely. But Dante, do you have any final parting words that you would like to to leave my audience with? Um, Just people that's been to prison, right, people that spend time in prison, um, most of the time are men and women who've, um, who've spent some time working on themselves. Um, they're not typically who they were when they went in. Uh, most of the time when people go in, they change to some degree. Um, but give them a chance. Give them a chance to show, show, show you who they are as opposed to just, um, you know, categorize. Give them a shot. I just spoke at a shareholders meeting recently uh, at a big company here in Madison, I mean, Milwaukee. And I was, I was essentially asking the shareholders to um, adopt some felon-friendly policies, right, to, to be intentional and giving men and women a second chance uh, after they come home. And I think the same is important for the community as well. Ninety up, upward of ninety percent of men and women incarcerated are coming home, right? So the community has a, a huge role in what that reality is, right? And they, how, how can you expect home. them to be successful? So they're coming if... home. How did so it, to 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 reject them? Yeah, is is essentially like compounding the situation. Right, it, 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 you can things. I believe things could be a lot more. I believe the recidivism rate will go down a lot, and the economy and the community would thrive better if brothers and sisters coming home were embraced. Well, and there's there's job shortage right now, so Absolutely. literally people need workers. No, no so, question. but no yeah, question. it's. I, I think that's a really good point of how can you expect someone to succeed if you're perceiving them as already failing? Yeah, you know I mean like. Absolutely. People live up to that expectation. We all do, to some degree or another. The people closest to us, the people around us, we we influenced by that expectation. That's why I pick my friend so so specifically, for real. That's why she's one of my friends. <laughs> oh, she's awesome. She really is. Do you want to say just, hi since you've been in the background? I just tease this. She's she, like, no. No, she's, she's, she's smart. But but it's it's so important like yeah. to, to, to make people feel like they're part of the community. Yeah. So, and I can cut this out if the answer is no. Did you have a big announcement that you wanted to? Unfortunately, not yet. No, okay. Ah. But, but thank you. Okay, I'll make sure to cut that part But it's out. coming. It's coming? <laughs> or do you want to keep the, no, the big announcement? No, it's, coming. it's coming. <laughs> All right. Well, again, we'll just have to have you on again. Yes, I'll come and let me know. Yeah. It's a pleasure. Well, thank it genuinely you. was a pleasure. And it was a pleasure having you on. And just thank you so much for taking the time and... It's it's been a great discussion. I appreciate it. But Very easy to talk to. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Until next time, everybody, keep it cheesy. <laughs> yes, that is how I end my <laughs> podcast. <laughs>